you just have to keep going. Um, trust the process and, and fall in love with the process. Just, just keep going. It's like when I know I get really excited when I arrange for one property in a given weekend or long weekend, I arrange five, six or seven viewings. Mm-hmm. I get excited because I know that doing that activity is going to lead to several um, applications for that home that are going to come back and it's going to lead to a big check. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world. Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Before we begin this week's show, I'd like to make you an offer, a free 30-minute call with me. We've been doing weekly chats with other real estate investors for months now, and the response has been great, but we're going to change things up a bit and focus. We are buying self-storage facilities. We have a great partner in North Carolina with a great track record of success, a background in construction, and we're partnering up to help him expand his portfolio. If you have an interest in learning more about investing in self-storage, on the active side, on the passive side, whatever your level of interest, we want to talk to you. There's no pitch here. We're not selling a coaching program. This is just a chance for us to network with other investors interested in self-storage. Also, if you're a current self-storage owner, we'd love to chat with you and perhaps have you as a guest on our show. If all that sounds like something you'd be interested in, go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash self-storage call and schedule a call there. I look forward to speaking with you. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Greetings, friends and families. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. And you're listening to The Road to Family Freedom. Our guest this week comes from a real estate investing family. He's been involved in investing since at least the age of 16. He's the co-author of the book, The New Rules of Real Estate Investing, and he specializes in selling properties using the lease purchase strategy. Nick Prefontaine, welcome to The Road to Family Freedom. Neil, Brittany, I'm happy to be here with you guys. Yeah, we interviewed your dad uh, several months ago, and it's nice to, uh, you know, nice to meet you. He talked uh, an awful lot about you and his family, and uh, it's nice to meet you. I'm happy to be here. Nice to meet you both and be with you both. Yeah. Awesome. So as, uh, as I said in your intro, you come from a real estate investing family. Can you describe what your intro to real estate investing was? Sure. And, and I'll actually, I can, I can take you back a little bit, even a little bit before that. And that, that kind of uh, springboarded me if, if you could say into um, my intro into real estate. And that was um, back in 2003, I was with my ski club uh, snowboarding and it was on the first run uh, we were going, we were on the chairlift going up the hill and I noticed that it was very icy uh, because it had been raining. People were wiping out everywhere, but uh, you know, needless to say, it wasn't my first time on a snowboard. Um, I knew what I was doing on a snowboard, not to, uh, not to pat myself on the back, but um, 
So everyone, all my friends were talking about how anyone to hit that jump would be crazy with these conditions and everything. And of course, I, t- I take everything. And I still do to this day as a challenge. So I was like, oh, yeah. So I buckled in, headed straight for that jump with all my speed. And going out to the jump, I caught the edge of my stoneboard, which kind of threw me off balance. Then I was I was not in a position. I was going way too fast to to stop and not go off the jump. So in the air, I rotated and landed right on my head. Mm-hmm. And I was told later that I landed on my head and I wasn't wearing a helmet. Um, then I was um, I was actually in a coma for three weeks and they wanted to life flight me there at the Wachusett mountain. They wanted to life flight me, but it was too windy. So they had to have a paramedic come up and get me and bring me down and everything. And I was actually very fortunate. The fact that there were five or six paramedics total that were on, on the staff of being, being paramedics and emergency our response people. And there were only one or two of them that could intubate uh, right on the spot, which means basically, you know, paralyze you right on the spot so that they could, you know, protect you further down the line. Uh, Fortunate for me, that person was working that day. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing I, I did was, um, Although I wasn't wearing a helmet, the glass, the uh, snowboarding goggles that I had were known for, they were, they were called spies. They were known for having a lot of padding. And I was told the doctors were actually amazed because at each time that I hit, because I didn't just hit once, I hit several times, mm-hmm. if you can imagine. But with each time I hit, uh, kind of mysteriously my goggles rotated with each impact to brace each impact wow so that's i was very fortunate in that regards for uh those two things to happen i'm sure there's a third there is a third i just can't think of it right now but it you know it'll it'll come out if it's important (laughs) (laughs) um and then once i got to the hospital to the ICU at UMass, the doctors told my parents that, well, look, even if he coma, even if he comes out of this coma, he, you know, might never walk, talk, or eat again. So I, you know, I had um, the uphill, I guess you could say, quite the uphill, um, uphill battle in front of me. It was, um, it was really, it was amazing that I tell people that and they say, good for you. You proved, you proved everyone wrong, but it wasn't anything like that. Um, what it was like is I got in my accident. Then I didn't just sporadically wake up at the hospital and my eyes were open. I don't even remember my time at at the ICU at UMass. I I really don't. I don't remember that because and that reason was the impact was so great from the, um, from the fall itself. I would have been out before they even uh, induced me because they had to induce me because uh, 
I would have been out for probably 10, 10 days, they said, estimate-wise. But they had to induce me because the swelling in my brain was such that if I woke up and freaked out and was like, what's going on? What happened? Why? Where am I? Kind of thing. Who are you people? The swelling in my brain would increase and I would have died. Mm. Mm. So there's the third thing. Mm. See, I mentioned there was three things. So um, then after after I was stabilized, as I said, I was in a coma for three weeks. But after I was stabilized, about a month later, I was transported to Franciscan Children's Hospital in Boston. And that's where I I learned how to do everything again. Um, I learned how to walk. I learned how to talk. I learned how to eat. People, a lot of people don't realize it. Oh, I was saying I want to go back to something, but um, you know, I mentioned that I'll I'll tell my story, and some people will respond, "Oh, good for you. You proved everyone wrong." Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know. I didn't know that the doctors had had said that because my parents very pointedly. Whenever the doctors would come to share the increasingly grim news, every time they would come to my bed and talk to my parents to share the news, my parents would say, I'm very fortunate. They would say, no, no, not not right here, not in front of him. Because even though I was in a coma, I was still taking information in. So they made they made the doctors go out, go outside in the hall to share information with them. Hmm. So then, uh, sorry to backtrack there, right. but um, okay. then once I got once I got to uh, Franciscan Children's Hospital in Boston, that's as I said, where I had to learn how to walk, talk, and eat again. And a lot of people don't realize it, but yeah, it's one thing to say I have to learn everything to walk, talk, and eat again, but it's another thing to actually do it because it wasn't just the functions of walking talking and eating it was everything i was basically i was basically a newborn at 14 years old i i had to learn how to take care of myself how to shower at everything um and you want to talk about a humbling experience that's that's uh, definitely going to bring you down to earth is um having having the occupational therapist with me and and coaching like with me when I was taking a shower and Mm. and walking me through what to do and what order and everything so I I mean a lot of a lot of people don't think of in that much detail what it means to have to learn everything over again but that was uh that was the reality for me and even at Franciscan I would have to have double sessions of physical, occupational, and speech therapy. So a typical day for me would go, get up, um, have a therapist help me take a shower in the in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Then I would go to sessions of physical, occupational, and speech therapy, 45 minutes to an hour long, each one of them. Then I had a break for lunch. Then in the afternoon, I would do the same thing, physical, occupational, and speech therapy. Mm. So it was um, it was long days and kind of kind of amazingly, I mean, all my doctors knew what my goals were. My goal 
from when I got there and uh, as early as I could communicate, which at first wasn't even talking, it was just my eyes. Um, then it progressed to mouthing words and a whisper. And then I, I slowly was able to get my voice back. But the earliest that I could communicate, I always communicated my goal of wanting to run out of the hospital. And so I shared that goal with all my doctors, nurses, therapists, and I shared that goal with them because I wanted them to help me get to where I wanted to go. And everything I was doing in all of my therapies was helping me get there. But then when I got home or home back to my room and not a real home, but when I got back to my room at night, I also had free weights that I was, I was doing some weights because I was told that that would help me get to my goal faster. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then after, uh, so I believe the the exact day was April 24th, 2003 came and I did uh, run out of the hospital. We, we went down, we went down the street to a local pizza shop and, got a uh, Coke and a grinder. And that was my food goal uh, from the beginning. I wanted to get a Coke and a grinder. And those of you uh, non-New Englanders that are listening, that's like a, yeah, that's like a, that's like a sandwich, like a, um, on a a sub roll. That's what I meant. I I could tell you were a little confused by your face when I asked that. Coke and a grinder? I know what a Coke Coke is. Yeah. 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 But that was always that was always my goal because I mean the the Coke, a soda, simple thing like that, the bubbles irritated my throat. So we weren't really allowed to have a ton of soda. You know, it wasn't like part of our diets that, yeah. that the doctors gave us at the hospital. So that was a, that was always a goal of mine. Yeah. Um, then so I went there on that day, April 24th, went to the pizza shop down the street with a few of my therapists and my mom. Then leaving there, that's how they filmed me running out of the hospital. I still had to go in and get my stuff, but it was just the <laughs> theatrical moment of doing that. But then, so that was that was when I was uh, when I was fourteen, and when I when I back home, the work wasn't done. Uh, I still had to go to six months of outpatient therapy for physical occupational and speech therapy and it was six full months of doing that so especially when i got home i would go back to school because going back to school for me wasn't like oh you just like you don't miss a beat you just go back you sit in your classes and you learn from your teachers with all your friends it wasn't like that because i missed so much time Mm -hmm. so the school actually said to me that no, no, take your time. Like you've been through a traumatic brain injury. That yeah. that's the description of what I what I was in my accident. They said no, take your time. You can just do eighth grade again here, but I just didn't want to do that. Um, so I wanted to as soon as I could. I wanted to go back to school. So it was the final few months of the year, and. When it was go back to school, so my days would be get up, um, you know, get ready and everything, and then go to school. And at school, I would be uh, tutored by a private tutor for three hours. 
Then I would have lunch with my classmates. Then my mom would pick me up and I would go for the afternoon. I would have physical, occupational, and speech therapy. So that was Monday, Monday through Friday, my days. And then I, I was able to graduate with my class, but the work wasn't over for me. I still had to get tutored all summer long, five days a week, which uh, if you ask any kid, that's any kid's dream to have to do that. <laughs> so funny. I went on, I, I mean, I, I did get, I did get tutored, um, five days a week, as I said, and I was able to go on to freshman year and, and on with my high school career from there. Shortly after, I mean, really, it was uh, less than two years later after finishing all of those therapy, those outpatient therapies, I started to, I was reading books on real estate, and the one that really caught my attention was uh, Cash Flow Quadrant by Robert Kawasaki. Mm-hmm. And I, I, as, as you mentioned, you know, when I, when I started, when I started with you guys, the, I grew up in a fa- a uh, family real estate business. So I was always around it. So I asked my dad after reading that book a little bit, I was like, all right, so I see you doing all this stuff and like doing all this stuff for your real estate business. How do I help? How do I get involved in like, I really wanted to know how I got started at that point. Around that time that I was asking, I was 15, 16 years old. My dad and his team were starting to play with the idea of um, door knocking, like having a bunch of bird dogs door knock pre-foreclosure doors. And all pre-foreclosure means is these, these homeowners had received a notice to default letter from the bank and they were one, two, maybe three, but maybe even up to 10 to 12 payments, monthly payments behind on their mortgage. However, the bank hadn't foreclosed yet. So I would go, I was, I didn't, I didn't know at first, I had no idea what to do, but my dad said, all right, here's, here's a script. Here's a list of, of places you gotta, you gotta go see, or he told me how to get that. Go to, go to a website and find out who ever received the notice of default and everything. So I didn't know. I had a script and I had a list. So I would, to me, what made sense is I was going to go to the areas where I could do the most amount of doors in a day, the most dense area amount of doors. I mean, thinking back, it probably wasn't the most intelligent intelligent thing to do because that translated into not the best areas. <laughs> um, however, it was great. You know, it was great experience doing it at first because I, I really had no training. I was I was just going out. People opened their door, and I had to yeah, I, I had to convince them that I was there to help. And six at sixteen years old, but then did you, did you get a sure. lot of door, did you get a lot of uh, doors slammed in your face? Oh no, no, that never happened. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Yeah, yeah, I did. Especially, especially at the, at the very beginning, because as I said, I didn't have it. I just had a script and a list of houses that I had to hit. So especially at the very beginning, but shortly after starting it, my cousin and I, uh, my dad flew us out to San Diego to shadow one of the top guys, if not the top guy, uh, in the country doing it. 
at the time. His name was Colin. And once I witnessed him do, I mean, we, we did, I think in our day we did 77 doors. Wow. And once I, once I witnessed him do it and how much, how, how radically different it was that my approach, my approach was go right up to the door, knock on the door, wait for them to answer. And then they open the door. Hi, I'm, I'm here to help you out of your unfortunate situation. But when I, when I saw Colin do it, I was like, Oh, I was like, that's, that's very different. There was, there was so much. What was he doing? Was that so, was different. So many nuances. So many, he would, you know, walk up do a light jingle, like a friend, like mm-hmm. going up to knock and then take a few steps back. And they would answer the door and say, ah, you know, Sorry, I don't I don't know if I have the right address. Could you confirm something for me? He'd show them their clipboard. And then once they saw their name, they would open up, tell them what had happened, and the evil bank did this and they're idiots and everything, which we can all agree with. Yeah. I don't I don't know I don't know anyone who um who can't get behind that statement. <laughs> My best friend's a banker. He 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 would not agree with me. <laughs> 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 he he can pull out some of like you know I don't know no is he you can you no. can take that out if if it doesn't no, no, work we're, we're no, teasing. No, totally teasing totally teasing <laughs> but uh, once I so once I saw his approach and I would change for mine how different it was I changed mine as soon as I got home and I started seeing a lot of success started getting invited into a lot of houses and was able to set up set up several meetings with our investor to come down in a few days after that and meet me with these people and see if we could buy their house, see if we could help them out of that unfortunate situation. Then led to, I would say I really did that the rest of high school. I did that into my senior year, door knocking, pre-foreclosure doors. Then led to, I graduated high school in 2007 and I, I had some, I had somewhat of a summer, you know, and, <laughs> you know, not, not having to work or, or like have a, have something I had to answer to. But I started studying right after that. I flew out. My dad flew, flew me out to, um, he had a, he had a partner that he used to mastermind with and do role playing. He was involved in a um, coaching program with Mike Ferry years ago and, uh, one of his role play partners that he met through that had an investment business out in California. I went and stayed with him in September, um, sh- shadowed him for for a weekend, and really got my uh, got my whistle wet. And then upon getting back, I started starting to get my real estate license. And then in March of 2008, March 8th, I got my real estate license. 2008, I know it was a great time. Everyone's probably thinking to yes. get your real estate license. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So that that was um that was interesting because I didn't know as a realtor, I didn't know what a good market was. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. So that was because when I was get when I just got licensed and when I was getting established and getting all my systems set up and everything and you know hanging my license with a broker, the market the market was crashing. However, I didn't know I didn't know any better. That I wasn't my reality. I wasn't 
out in the market doing deals. And so by the time I got started later into 2008, 2009, that was my reality. I didn't know a good market or a bad market. So that's what I had to learn in. And that's what I had to cut my teeth in. Um, I was able to, I was able to build a business and, um, I hate to say this, but you know, survive. I know that doesn't, that doesn't sound appealing to anyone, but to me, it was a big deal. Cause I was, I was an 18, I was a 19 year old kid. So mm-hmm. to be able to support myself and, you know, with real estate, uh, real estate sales, I mean, that was a big deal to me that led to. Around the time of um, 2014, my dad started getting involved in doing these terms deals, rent own, owner financing, subject to that kind of thing. And as he was starting to build his business, he was at a point where he's like, geez, I can't keep up with all these marketing, all these properties that I'm getting. I need some help with the marketing. Nick, do you, do you want to help me with the marketing? And it's so funny to think back now, but I was, I was hesitant to even to help him. I'm like, no, 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 I got my own thing going on. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing well for myself. I don't, you know, I don't need, I don't need anything else. I'm good. And after him asking me a few times, because he didn't just ask me once, I was like, all right, I can, I, I guess I can do that right alongside. I can help with the marketing. I started helping with the marketing that translated into, geez, Nick, I can't keep up with the buyers that are calling for these properties. Do you mind helping me with the buyers? I was like, uh, all right, I, I guess I can, <laughs> I can help out with that, with the buyers. And um, then that led me to, in January of 2016, letting my license go and going full-time with the investments and the properties and really... Uh, by doing that and by only working with the buyers, it it enabled me to develop a system and a process that that we have to put all the buyers through in order to increase their chances of success and being able to, at the end of the least, get their own loan. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have we have a very high success rate because of that, and that. That led me to really what I'm doing today. We're still, of course, in one of our one of our like core tenants that we teach is we're still in the trenches. We're still doing these deals and everything. But now it's not just it's not just our deals locally here. We're also in the trenches working with our associates, doing the doing the same thing uh, with our associates all over the country. Okay, so I want to unpack uh, some of those a bunch of the stuff you said there. Um, and one of the first one there, and it's something you just alluded to there, which is the power of shadowing uh, a more experienced investor. I mean, uh, anybody who's ever tried to learn about real estate investing has probably spent some time at a seminar, watching a lecture, uh, watching a YouTube video, reading a real estate investing book. But I have found that in my experience, I've had my most growth when I've been able to basically find a way to add value in some way to a more experienced investor who will then allow me to tag along on the deal and sit there and literally watch the way they work. Is that sort of what you guys are doing? That's how, that's how I, that's how I benefit because I benefit from actually doing 
um, actually taking action and doing. And that's the only way I feel that this is for myself and also for the associates that we work with. That's the only way and the best way that they're going to learn. Um, yeah, I mean, by doing it, um, we don't, we have, we have office visits, but that's kind of slowed down as you can imagine with the whole coronavirus. But uh, prior to the coronavirus, uh, we were having office visits for our associates that they would come and sit in on uh, several meetings, witness myself uh, take buyer calls and do buyer calls and listen to my brother-in-law who is in the office next to me do do his calls with sellers. And um, yeah, that is something that we provide for our associates, but it's not, it's not the only thing. I, I think the reason that our associates are seeing the growth and success that they are, I think, is because we're personally vested in the in the deals that they're doing we're 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 associates we're but we're basically we're locking arms and doing them with uh with our associates so that's uh, the best way most efficient way to teach someone gotcha yeah. gotcha so for our listeners who maybe don't uh understand what buying on terms buying and selling on terms means can you give us a quick uh, 30,000 foot overview of what that means. Yeah, sure. I'll give you a very simple from um, very simple from both sides, like buying the property and selling the property. So a lot of the sellers that we work with and a lot of the homes that we end up buying were homes that, that did try to sell on the conventional market for either uh, looking for cash or someone that the limited pool of buyers that would be able to get a pool. I'm sorry, <laughs> not the limited pool of buyers that would be able to get a pool, <laughs> limited pool of buyers that would be able to get a loan. So um, those people that have tried on the open market for whatever reason, it didn't sell. A lot of times we'll come in after it comes off the market. We'll be able to present alternative solutions to them and they're more open in that example those aren't the only properties that we buy but it's a large majority of them i would say they're more open to listen to alternative solutions uh, for the fact that they tried to get their price whether you know four hundred thousand. they they tried to get that price on the open they tried to get a buyer to pay cash for that or get a loan just wasn't happening so when it, it when it expires, they're more, as I mentioned, open hearing alternative ways that we can come in and buy their property. Uh, we'll buy properties a number of ways. So it could be on a simple uh, lease purchase agreement or rent to own agreement. Um, could be if the property does not have a mortgage or any underlying debt on it, could be through owner financing. Um, and these are there's there's so many nuances within these. I'm just giving you these basics. But um, then another way that we'll come in and buy is subject to the existing loan. So we'll 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 basically close on the property and then take over uh, that seller take over that loan and as, assume payments and everything like that. And then once we have that equitable interest we're able to, as non-realtors, go out to the market 
of rent home buyers and see if we can find a rent home buyer. Um, as I was mentioning before, there is a limited, there's only a limited pool of buyers that can walk into a bank and get a loan, especially now with the coronavirus going on and yeah. um, shutdowns and everything like that. But it's, it was, I would say, roughly 18 or 20% of the market can walk into a bank and get a loan. Mm-hmm. So there's a bigger pool of buyers out there who, for whatever reason, aren't bankable. They they can't get they can't get a loan. Whether it's they're coming from another country, they're not a you know they're not a U.S. citizen, uh, they're self-employed, they're business owners, or they just moved to the area. Um, the lender usually needs to see seasoning in order for them to get their own loan. So there's a number. There'll be a number of different ways that the person can't get their loan today. Mm-hmm. So we we get we get those buyers. Now it does require a down payment. They're going to be putting a down payment down anywhere from three to ten percent of the purchase price. And they're usually locking that in in the beginning. So they're locking their purchase price and it is going to require a down payment of three to ten percent. Now when I say three to ten percent question that we'll get from buyers all the time is well that's a pretty big range what like what is it is it three or is it ten mm-hmm. well it's totally dependent on the amount of interest on that particular property so some of our properties do go for a four or five percent down payment and we'll sell them but then we'll once they're in the home we'll work them up closer to the 10% over the course of their lease so that by the time they do go for their own loan, they're that much more likely to be approved. Okay. Uh, some Sometimes though, it does. It happens several times a year. It doesn't happen every time, but it does happen several times a year where a buyer is going to come in with a large down payment, uh, with, a, with a big down payment either at 10% or even over 10%. We had someone someone come in and do on a $250,000 house do after meeting with them, we thought they'd be able to put down 20000 but after meeting with them, they determined that they could do 100000 oh, wow. down payment. Mm-hmm. So that all, that all started because we got that person into the property for viewing, and then we determined they were interested. Then we set up a next level discussion. And once they got a comfort level with us, then they, you know, said, well, this is what I'm able to do. So the way that the way that it's determined is based on the property. Like if there's a lot of interest in the property, which there's a lot of interest in most of our properties, but um, some homes go for higher down payments than others. I hope, that answers your question in a round-the-world kind of way. Yeah. So, um, you know, you, you're you acquiring the property off of ex- mostly expired listings, people who have they've tried to sell it through a realtor or maybe um, for sale by owner, and it's been on the market for a long time. It's not selling. What are some of the reasons that you find that it's not selling? Well, in that one example, because there's a number of different there's a number of different reasons why property doesn't sell. Could be 
you know, to do with uh, they got a they got a divorce and they just can't agree. And there's there's so many different. I just wouldn't be able to uh, go into each subcategory sure. with you. It would it would take too long. But the reason they're not selling is for whatever reason they need X out of the property in order to move on, and they're not able to get X. So if we say to them that, well, we can get you, we can get you that X or close to it or, or some, you know, a good plan to get you there, but it's not going to be all right now. It's going to be over time. So it's basically a delayed cash sale. That's the simplest way of explaining it um, mm-hmm. to someone, yeah. both a buyer or a seller. Gotcha. It's, it's real, that's, that's a very simple, um, very simple way of explaining it. But there's um that's only one example but it's it's a lot of our a lot of our properties our homes that that have a failed or could be property related uh very frankly mm-hmm. so it could be that there is a particular property and it's not selling because of you know an update i'm trying to think of a um trying to think of an example um like right now we have a we have a we've had it for a few years but we, it's a historic home the mm. the land was the land was bought in the 1700s it's an older home so really the reason buyers right now are asking me well why isn't it selling we we accepted some buyers they're actually closing with our attorney tomorrow and they actually said when they were in meeting uh, with myself and um, our assistant Sue for the buyer's meeting, well, this property has been on and off the market for like the past eight years. Wow. Like what's wrong? What's up with the property? And I could say very confidently that, well, uh, the property needed work and it just wasn't at a place where buyers were willing to pay that. We're actually in the middle of just completing a rehab at the property and, and like really finishing it up. We don't do that with every home. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea, but like with a property like that, it needed too much work for the price that they were looking to get. Mm-hmm. So we, gotcha. we had to do a little work. And so, I mean, sometimes you're dealing with, you know, maybe the property needs a little work, but they maybe owe too much on it to try and sell it to a rehabber who's going to have to get, you know, who's going to have to get it for bottom dollar, but they owe too much on it. So they don't have that kind of flexibility, um, things like that. Is that sort of a common issue? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let me, let me go off of a couple of things you said. So yeah, there will be. There will be properties that do need work, and I'm not saying major things, but like cosmetics, mm-hmm. and that that might be the reason it's not selling. We'll get. We find a lot of our buyers are um, our business owners, our contractors. They're familiar, excuse me, with uh, property repair and property maintenance. So they'll go, we'll sell it on them as a handyman special kind of thing and we'll we'll build in with the price that there's still a huge upside benefit to them if they are to finish and do these repairs to the property the property is going to be worth considerably more but we have to obviously sell that for a little less than 
if it was a finished product. But a lot of our buyers are, and even even to this day, a lot of our buyers are contractors or familiar with property repair in some aspect um, and are able to go into the property, do a little work, and realize the equity gotcha. in there. But I mean, if if any if any of this is interesting is is um, of interest at all to anyone listening, the best way that they can get started is to go to our website and that's smartrealestatecoach.com. Um, again, that's smartrealestatecoach.com and they can get registered for the free on your terms webinar. And that's, I think it's roughly, um, it's being updated right now. It's anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes of content, great content in there. And if by the end, it's still they're still interested they'll know how to take the next steps and that also includes a uh, free strategy call with uh, someone here at the office i I believe it's either my dad or um, my brother-in-law zach gotcha um so as someone who educates um, and mentors aspiring real estate investors in this strategy um is there is there one piece of advice that you often give to students that they um, that they ignore that you wish they wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Yes, there is. And I think, I think that is, um, that is that they get too overwhelmed mm-hmm. or they, they think about all the steps that they have to do and they, they get too bogged down in the details. Um, or in, maybe it's not the number one thing, but I think that's important because when it comes down to it, all they need to do is take one step at a time. Uh, just just keep focusing on what's your next step. That's all you have to worry about. Just take it one step at a time. We find that, and it's even something that we're discovering, uh, working working with all of our associates in uh doing these deals we we just had our uh best month like all with all associates combined best month for deals that we've had um and we're only we're only increasing and yeah obviously it took longer to get to where we are than than we all thought but the reason the reason that it took longer is because there are so many little minute details that and nuances that can't be overlooked. But there are so many little things like, oh no, well, why'd you say that? You shouldn't have said that to the buyer. You shouldn't have said that to the seller. You say it this way, like mm-hmm. different tone or, or di- like there are so many little things that we don't think about as just because we do it every day. We don't think it's a big deal, but there are so many little things and um, it's really, it's really great to watch, to watch other people um, be self-sufficient and to do that on their own. Um, that's really important, or that's that's a number one mistake. The other mistake I've seen, maybe the number two mistake, I, I don't know, but it's um, thinking that uh, thinking that they have a deal just because someone seemed interested or is going to look at the house or 
got them back an application and they seem like they're interested, but like basically counting the deal, count their chickens before they hatch. Yeah. Um, thank you. Oh, okay, good. I, I got a buyer now. You just have to keep going. Um, trust the process and, and fall in love with the process. Just, just keep going. It's like when I know I get really excited when I arrange for one property in a given weekend or long weekend, I arrange five, six or seven viewings. Mm -hmm. I get excited because I know that doing that activity is going to lead to several um, applications for that home that are going to come back and it's going to lead to a big check. Uh, most recently that happened on a property of ours that we that we did and i just got really excited without anything i I just by by doing the same things and turns out that we ended up getting a 10 percent down payment on that got a great buyer in there and so it just just goes to show you gotta you gotta keep going and trust the process Gotcha. All right. So we're going to finish off and make sure we've got our four, uh, our four sort of things covered um, as we wrap this up. Um, you, uh, we never really got to the point where we talked about your, um, what your first real estate investment transaction looked like, the first property that you bought and sold. Yeah, um, that that was actually an interesting one, uh, Neil, because you were asking me about that before. Uh, before we jumped into this and um, I was like, wow, I've never been asked that. That's really interesting. It happened while I was in high school. So prior to the fact of being, being 16 and, you know, once I got my license door knocking pre foreclosure doors, I had a little, um, I had a car washing business where I had a motorized scooter <laughs> and I would go, I would go around to all the neighbors and watch their car. And I would come back w after watching three, four or five cars. And I would say to my dad, all right, like, uh, put it, put them, put this money away. And, um, like, I don't even want to know about it. And, um, so then he was at, he was actually matching, like whatever I saved, he was, he was matching it. So That's I had motivation to basically say you know i don't even want to know about it just hey, save yeah. it all doubling your money instantly yeah exactly um and then by by uh the time i was 16 i had saved up with him anywhere from eight to ten thousand dollars and we use that money as part of a down payment on a small a very small two unit commercial property uh, uh, like our from here I would say that property we've we've rented we we sold um we sold a couple times we sold maybe once to a rent to own buyer it did not work out for them uh, they had a life change in their mm -hmm. they had a change in their life that was unforeseen uh, then we ended up a year or two ago we ended up finding this really great buyer he had a uh, window window supply company we sold it to him with a down payment and as i mentioned three to ten percent he did ten percent up front and then he every year i think it might even be a couple times a year 
does a $20,000 payment to add to the down payment that he already has. So by now where, um, yeah, where we have the deal to him, we sold it to him and then he can do all the work to the property that he wants and everything. Property is absolutely beautiful. So much, so much better than when we were managing it and running everything because he's there. He has his business there. He's managing the whole thing. And it's it's absolutely beautiful. I think we're actually getting to a point where we're going to just own or finance it to him because he has so much money into it. Yeah, that's awesome. How much money did you have to put down on that deal? Uh, well, like I said, I put eight. I, th- I believe it was 8,000, but it was back. It was back when I was uh, 16. Yeah. I actually remember leaving, leaving, driving to and from the thing. My dad let me drive because I had my learner's permit. <laughs> That's awesome. So. Um, all right. So not including, you know, I know that you, you know, a large part of your day-to-day work is as a coach, but on the real estate investing side, what would you say a day in the life looks like for you on just the real estate side or one of your average students who is, um, you know, uh, buying and selling properties on terms? Well, I'll just, um, I'll just take you, I'll take you through our, um, or rather my, you know, day, day in the life. So I'll usually, I'll usually get in and I'll focus on our properties that we have, like in our our local entities here. We have we have a few entities that like comprises of um, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and Connecticut. Mm-hmm. So I will get in, uh, return a few buyer calls, get get with our assistant Sue, and just make sure everything's okay. Um, if she has any questions or anything like that, she's starting to take over more and more of the buyer calls like at the actual callbacks of the buyers which is to me it's i've always handled it 100 excuse me 100 percent. so for me that that's it i'm at a big point that i'm starting to give her a little bit more and more to do these do these buyer calls but whether it's the buyer calls or the running of the properties and the Say we met with three buyers last week and we accepted one. Uh, so it's, you know, making sure that their closing gets scheduled. It's not really a closing, but we call it a closing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's just a, a lease, a formal lease signing in front of an attorney. They show up to the rest of the down payment and their first month's rent, sign the final lease documents and the, you know, their, um, the final documents to purchase the property and everything. And so a lot of, a lot of my day at the, at the very beginning is checking with her, making sure everything's on track for either if it's work being done at a property of ours, you know, making sure that that's all set. Uh, We have several deals right now that are, um, we are, we didn't have enough time left in the contract. So to do another rent to own. So we had to sell them, on the open market with a realtor. So we have a few of those that are under agreement right now. So it's just touching base again with her, uh, with Sue and making sure where everything's still on track and where everything is in the process. She manages a lot. Um, and then the second half, 
you know, kind of after lunch is really with, um, I try to focus on the associates and um, reach out to them, seeing how I can help them with deals and um, helping the deal along further and further, whether it's calling the tenant screening company to make sure we get a tenant screening report back for all of our properties, because before we accept the buyer, we need their screening report back. And that's going to tell us credit, criminal, sexual harassment, and everything. But most importantly from that, it's going to tell us, excuse me, how long it's going to be until they're mortgage ready. So we make sure we're giving them enough time with the lease to become mortgage ready. So it's a lot of following up, you know, the buyer process that I mentioned Mm -hmm. um, in the beginning that I, that I kind of distilled and was able to kind of put down on paper what I do on a day-to-day basis. It's really following up with our associates and seeing at what point are they in the process and where do they need help getting the buyer to the next step. Yeah, um, That's a lot of my day. Uh, I do... I do a few of these. I would I would say one one or two a week. Um, yeah. But that's really those are really when you boil it down. That yeah. that's really what I'm focused on. Our properties first. I'll always, um, I want to make sure everything's running smoothly, and then then I I help the associates. Yeah. So on your properties, are those mostly near you guys, or do you um, own properties across the country? Uh, lo- well, locally here, what I'm referring to is Rhode Island, Connecticut, and Massachusetts. Yeah. However, with our associates, the ones that we're that we're in essence yeah. doing deals with, like I said, we have a we have a vested interest in them mm-hmm. in these deals. We're we're basically partners with the associate, like the individual associates. So, um, we I don't know what the exact number is, but yeah, it's we're working with several property, like in several different States. I'm just talking about what's here yeah. like locally, yeah. you know? So, um, for the day-to-day, day-to-day yeah. operation and the day-to-day kind of management of the properties, because a lot of it is property management. And I don't know, it might, I don't even know if it's a, <laughs> maybe a selfish thing, but I actually love the uh, collection process. Mm-hmm. I love someone else. Someone owes money. I, I love following up with them until they pay. Nice. That's, that's, that's a little bit weird, Nick. <laughs> I enjoy it. I know. I've heard that. I really, I have heard that, that people don't enjoy that. I, I love it. Yeah. Hey, someone's got to do it. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Okay. Well, Nick, thank you so much for sharing with us today. I know you've got the book, uh, The New Rules of Real Estate Investing. Um, Is there any other way that would be a best way for our listeners who want to find out more about you could reach out to you? Oh, yeah. I uh, thank you for mentioning that. I forgot to mention that the they can actually go to a website to claim their copy of that book, The New Rules of Real Estate Investing for free. Um, and when I say free, I mean 100% free. So we're, we take we're care free. of shipping and everything like that. We're not, after they sign up, going to hit them up for $10 and say, well, it costs us $10 to ship it. <laughs> so if they go to newrulesforfree.com and just enter their information, we'll make sure to get that out. Again, that's newrulesforfree.com. 
uh, just bear with us because with the coronavirus, obviously, you know, mm. the, like all of our shipments and everything have been delayed, yeah. but uh, they are coming. Yes. It's just a matter of when. The gotcha. countrywide issue. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Not just you guys. Exactly. <laughs> well, Nick, thank the you. The what? I'm sorry. It's a countrywide issue. Like nothing <laughs> comes oh, yeah. on time. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes exactly. Amazon. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, sometimes it's funny. Some sometimes we get stuff like you order it and it comes literally the next day, and other times you order something and it'll be like, yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be one week to four weeks. <laughs> You know, you're just no. like, what? Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. That's okay. one. It'd be one month to six months. Yeah. yeah exactly. You'll yeah. get it. Someday. Well, Nick, thank you so much for sharing with us today. It's been really great uh, getting to know of your, more about your story and your strategy. And and uh, we have, hope you have a good one. Thank you. I love being with you guys. Uh, let me know. Let me know how we can do more together, how I can great. help. Okay. Awesome. Thanks. All right. Okay. That was Nick Prefontaine from smartrealestatecoach.com. It was certainly uh, great getting to know him after getting to know his father and uh, listening to his strategy. Awesome. Uh, did you have a key lesson learned from this episode? Um, I think one of the things that I pulled out was just to trust the process. Obviously, with the, um, you know, the, strategies that they use they're using a lot of um you're kind of doing the same thing over again and they have systems that they use and they have different steps and he you know he talked about how it was important to just keep on going on those steps and that's really gonna help you be successful and I think that's something to just uh remember sort of in in all your real estate endeavors whether you're doing the same type of strategies or not you know, create your process and then do it and, yeah. and trust that, oops, sorry, <laughs> um, trust that you are, um, on the road. Yeah. Well, and absolutely, you know, so many people, especially if you're paying for any kind of mentoring and, and things like that, mm -hmm. you know, they're probably teaching it in a way that they are because they've been successful doing it that way. True. And, you know, you might go, ah, I don't like this. I'm going to do it some other way. Well, why are you paying them money to learn the way that they're doing things? You know, I mean, yeah. um, I agree. Trust the process. Did you have a, a lesson? Yeah. Uh, don't get too bogged down in the details, you know, focus on the next task in front of you. Uh, so often people, you know, uh, some people call it analysis paralysis, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just getting you know, a deal will, you will learn more details about a deal as you go through it. Mm -hmm. You don't need to know every single thing about a deal before you start to execute on that deal. Yeah. Um, there will be time. Real estate is one of those great things where you can essentially agree to buy it and then learn more about what it is you're buying. And, oh, by the way, go find the money to buy it before you actually have to buy it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people get so bogged down in trying to find out everything they can about a property before they agree to buy it. Yeah. Um, and anyway, so that was for me. Um, what I'm going to say, so the key piece of knowledge that we, we didn't ask them, ask him this specifically, but I think it was just the door knocking, um, the learning, um, kind of learning on the job and also, I mean, the shadowing seemed to be yes. a big, 
um, piece for him in really solidifying what was effective and and he was nice he got that really early on (laughs) no it helps to i mean he was he was born into a good real estate family which helps Uh, but he you know the people the guy he talked about learning from was not in his family that was somebody else and um i think it really speaks to the power of if you are somebody who wants to be a real estate investor and you don't have knowledge uh, and you don't have experience and you know don't have money you don't have money <laughs> but you've got time yeah. um find a way to add value to someone who's an experienced real estate investor and yeah. find a way to um find a way to shadow them yeah uh, and add value and learn that way yeah and that was kind of what he did for his family is to give that time and then it's I think from what I understood, his family kind of sent him to go shadow. So he sort of did that, um, gave his time and then was um, given lessons in return. (laughs) Uh, How much money did it take him to get started? Uh, He did about eight grand on his first deal. And I don't really know how much that first deal actually was for the down payment. Yeah, we didn't. Um, I, I mean, my guess would be double that. I don't know. Yeah. So, but you know, um, you could depends on the deal. So, yeah. But he was. It was cool that he was able to pull it together. Um, just from summers washing cars yeah. gives us something to think about for mm-hmm. our kid. Well, and it actually gave me a great idea too about trying to encourage saving which is tell tell your your child that hey i'll match whatever you save whatever goes into your save bucket i'll i'll match yeah. it and try and get them to incentivize them to uh uh to save versus um buy more things on amazon that's always, our child yeah there's always things well always i don't know more things to buy on amazon. problem is that he doesn't have any concept of what his savings will do for him that's yeah. that's the first thing we need to figure out is to convince <laughs> him that saving money is yes. worth doing <laughs> yes. because in his mind it just poof goes yeah. away and then there's nothing for it yeah. but yeah. if you would like to uh take over real estate class for homeschool maybe you could teach him what that money can do for him i'll try i'll try (laughs) or we talked about it a little bit this morning i talked to him about yeah buying it you know we bought properties across the country and we had them fixed up and yeah yeah well we just have to tell show him that i know you put that in first and then once you make that investment then you get money back that you can spend on amazon (laughs) awesome all right um Time, time, um, half a day is yeah. what I got. F- that wasn't, you know, working on with uh, their associates. It was seemed like it was about half a day of sort of checking in with buyers, sellers, um, following up. That yeah. was that was what I got, and it did sound like um, they're outsourcing some. Although it sounds like he also enjoys what he's doing. So, yeah. um, but there is a possibility of outsourcing a lot of that, especially when you do have good systems like they do. Um, you could theoretically use assistance like they have or some kind of virtual assistant option. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, could they do this strategy from anywhere in the world? I didn't really get him uh, nailed down on that. They yeah. do it in their kind of like tri-state, regional, regional, area. regional area. Yeah. I feel like, yes, if you have boots on the ground. 
Because that's kind of what the associates are, are sort of the boots on the ground that yeah. are able, especially if you're doing like door knocking or trying to be more personable. It's really hard to do that with, with being, you know, um, across the country. And we've, you know, we kind of know that too, as we look for smaller um, self-storage deals is that it can be tough to create the relationship needed with the owners to make those purchases if you are not there. Yeah. So... Okay, once again, that was Nick Prefontaine from smartrealestatecoach.com. And if you want a copy, a free copy of his book, and I know we've gotten a free copy from his dad, Chris Prefontaine, uh, and so we know this is real, uh, go to (laughs) newrulesforfree.com and check that out. Awesome. uh, We're doing this all again next week. Let's hit the road. Bye. Hey, before you go, if you like the show, we would be delighted if you'd head over to Podchaser and leave us an honest review. And do let us know why you like the show, how long you've been listening, and in particular, what you find really useful or entertaining. And let us know if there's anything you think we should change. Also, if you have specific questions about real estate investing, especially self-storage or short-term rentals, shoot us an email at info at roadtofamilyfreedom.com and we'll be happy to answer your question on the show. We might even turn it into an entire episode. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels.